Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. How are you? Good morning. Good, good. Thank you so much. So, so it's good to be back. Uh, I, I did have the privilege of coming here, uh, I think it was three years ago, two and a half years ago, something like that. I was thinking about it when, when I was on the way here. You know, we were driving, and uh, I was just kind of going back through it in my mind. And uh, I think I was asking my family if they remember, I think the week that I was here, it was our anniversary weekend. I think, because I remember there was just some other things going on. I said, I think that was our anniversary. So the last time I saw you was my anniversary weekend. Uh, We made it another couple years. Uh, So I'm still here. Uh, So thank God. So uh, so next year, I think, will be our uh, 30th anniversary. It'll be 30th anniversary next year. So thank you. Um, and so, yeah, so just a little bit about me in case you're new. Uh, my name is Ray Hanna. I live in Spokane uh, with my family. This is my family right here. Uh, my wife, I have an older son who's not here, um, and I have two daughters here. Uh, they're uh, Ami and Amira. And uh, Ami just graduated from college. Amira is uh, a senior this year in high school, and she'll be, I think, doing running start, so she'll be starting uh, college a little bit early. Uh, my son works with um, uh, like foster boys, you know, in, in Spokane in an organization. So uh, he's married, has has a, a young kid, a young, cool. We have a cool grandson now that comes over, you know, once a week, and we get to you know play with him and stuff. We all love him; he's really sweet. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I attend Faith Bible Church. Uh, my understanding is Brian Sayers was here recently. Was he here for every? Yeah. So Brian Sayers was here, and so Brian's one of my elders. So I I go to that church, and so. Um, he's actually one of the professors, too, at the Master's Seminary Spokane, and so I'm in the Master's Seminary Spokane. I have one year done, and I hope to, um, you know, finish, finish the next two, so if I can make it. Um, so, it, but it's been good. It's been a real blessing, and so it's kind of um, through that ministry that I get to, to come and be here with you today. So they, uh, you know, have opportunities where kind of partner churches need you know, folks to come out in, in interim situations, and so they, you know, reach out to us and go, hey, you know, folks need you to go here, they need you to go there, and so it gives us op- an opportunity to serve, you know, the church in some capacity um, t- until we're done, you know, with seminary, um, you know, assuming we, we make it to the end, um, and so it's a real privilege for us to come out, and we're all, we're all glad about it. Everybody there knows about Leavenworth, like we love you guys, and it's, it's really cool, so I enjoy coming. Uh, we had a great time with the head family last night. Um, we just had, we had too much fun. It was, it was good. <laughs> it was good. So look forward to, to, to the rest of today. So, um, our song we just sang, um, he will hold me fast. Uh, my prayer is that this, uh, sermon today will be, you know, part of the, or one of the tools, you know, that God may use to hold us fast. Okay. So what I want to talk about today is, uh, talk to you about from the word of God is prayer. Let's talk about prayer today. And uh, I would like, just before I begin, we'll, we'll go ahead and pray. Father, you desire intimacy and prayer with your people. We were saved to pray. You have enabled us to pray. Uh, you've made it a possibility for us to pray at a huge, huge, huge cost. It is something that we often take for granted. I take for granted and I would ask, Father, that uh, through your word today, your people would be drawn closer to you in prayer and be confident to pray, motivated to pray, 
and to understand why we should pray. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, our scripture uh, that we, we read earlier is 1 John uh, 5, verse 5 through 15. Uh, excuse me, excuse me, uh, I think it's 13 through 15. And so I'll read this again. <clears throat> it says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we asked from him. And so as I said, my agenda today, I'll be very, very transparent, my agenda is to help us all with prayer. It's to help us all with prayer. If you are confused by prayer, prayer can be theologically confusing. Don't look at me like that. Everybody's thought that before. You've said to yourself, like, okay, so God is sovereign. He knows everything. He knows what I'm going to ask for before I ask it. And the scripture says he's only going to give me what he wants to give me anyway. So prayer seems like superfluous, like why would I pray? Okay, if you're doubtful about how effective prayer is, uh, my goal is that your faith will skyrocket, that you'll be excited. If you do not regularly and faithfully pray, my goal is that the eyes of your heart will be opened so that you will begin to faithfully pray. And so I hope to draw you closer to God in prayer. And so sometimes a, a preacher's job is to bring comfort to those who are troubled, and sometimes it's to trouble those who are comforted. So I have to say, that's a fancy way of just saying that the, the preacher's job sometimes is to meddle, just to kind of get all up in your business and kind of, you know, maybe offend you a little bit, maybe make you angry a little bit, okay? But it's for your good. It's for your good. And so I'm hoping to convince you, I'm hoping to persuade you that without prayer, you're not running, that you're limping at best, you're limping. And at worst, we're headed for a painful awakening, that, that, that we're seeing at best with one eye, and at worst, we're groping in the dark altogether. We, we cannot see it all. That without prayer, we're depriving ourselves of the very thing that God has ordained for us and robbing him of the glory that he deserves. And, and we understand that with money, right? We say that all the time with money. You know, God gives us the ability to generate wealth, right? And if we don't give, right, that's what we're not doing, right? He says if you don't, if you're not sharing, if you're not giving, you're robbing because everything is his anyway. And so prayer is like that. So when we don't pray, we are literally depriving uh, ourselves of what God has ordained and robbing him of the glory that he deserves. So please uh, turn to Psalm 145, verse 18. So first we have to start out with, what's prayer? I mean, what, what is that? Let's, let's define what we're talking about. What is prayer? You might say, some people say, prayer is 
It's when you close your eyes, you frown a little bit, and you talk to the ceiling. Uh, Kids might say, prayer, that's what you do to get what you want from God. Sometimes when we pray, it's, we throw a whole bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Sometimes when we pray, we're, we're rolling the religious dice, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on, Papa needs a new pair of shoes, you know. Lucky number three, you know, for the Trinity, you know. We have to remember that prayer is not telling God how to be a better God, right? Father, do this, bless them, give me this, help me with that. Translate all that, what you're saying is do what I think your job is, okay? Are you at Psalm 145 now? 145, uh, 18. It says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. To all who call on him in truth. Prayer is an exercise in truthfulness. Think about that. Prayer is an exercise in truthfulness. God is truth, and those that worship him have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, so... Uh, if you are, for example, a carpenter, or you, know, you do any type of you know, labor or something like that, you understand that you're doing some work on something, and then you go, okay, I've laid you know, what I need to delay, and then what do you do? You go get, say, a level, right? You might go get a level, and then you put it on it, and you go, that's crooked, right? Because the level, we could say the level is the truth. It's, you put it on it, and then it kind of tells you, you're, you're pretty level, or you're off here, right? Or it's off to the right or left, right? Prayer is like that because God is truth. God is truth. So he's the standard, right? He's the perfect line. He's the level, if you will. He's the ruler. He's the measure. The word is the measure. So one of the reasons we avoid prayer is because we know deep down that when we go in prayer, my crookedness shows up. And so that's why we say prayer, it's, it's an exercise in truthfulness, in mental truthfulness, because we, we are literally interacting, you know, we're praying, we're talking to God, we're saying things, in mental truthfulness, in emotional truthfulness. Sometimes we're feeling things that we, you know, maybe certain things are going on in our lives or in our relationships. So there's a certain emotional truthfulness. In other words, if you're talking with someone very dear to you, and maybe they're a little off or something is wrong, you know, you say, hey, are you okay? I mean, you doing okay? You get what I'm saying? It's gonna, it brings that up, right? And so we all know that when we go in front of God, we're transparent. Right? He sees right through us, right? So if I'm upset and I'm not dealing with the fact that I'm upset, it's, it's disingenuous, right? Because God is going, I know you're not okay. What? <laughs> you're praying the Lord's prayer. You're not okay. There's something wrong. So it, it forces us emotionally to be truthful, which is very healthy. Uh, which ties into our psyche, you know, psychologically. You know, I heard uh, Dr. MacArthur say one time, he said, nothing is ever psychologically true if it's theologically false, which is great, you know what I'm saying? So all good psychology is going to come from proper theology. If it doesn't jive with correct biblical theology, then it's psychologically bad, 
right? So prayer, too, is, it requires some psychological truthfulness. Because in prayer, we see the truth about him, we see the truth about what he says, and I see the truth about me. That's not always, I don't like that. I don't, that's not always pleasant. It's not. We know it's not. So when some, so, so you've all had the situation, you're at your home, and, and you're just hanging out with your family and your loved ones, and then the doorbell rings, and we don't go, oh, great, like, who's at the door, right? We go, oh, who's at the door? The house is a mess. I'm in my PJs, my, well, not my hair, but my hair is, you know, <laughs> all over the place, whatever, you know, oh, who is that, right? And we look, and, ah, oh, man, I love them. I mean, God bless them, I love them, but uh, I'm not, I'm just not, you know, in that mode, right? But you're in the house, you know, with your own family, you know, with your own kind, right? You're in, you're in there, you're all in the mess together. And so it doesn't really kind of bother you, but when someone comes from outside, there's a bit of judgment, you know, we feel that, oh, yeah, this isn't really my best. You're just not getting me at my best moment. Well, if we understand that God sees you all the time anyway, so, but we tend to treat God that way. We tend to go pray, yeah, I got to kind of get things sorted out first. No, that's where you get things sorted out. That's where, that's how you get things sorted out. And so when we don't pray, when we are failing to truthfully, you know, open up our hearts and our minds to God for examination, preachers have to meddle, remember that. When we don't truthfully open up our hearts and minds to God for examination, we are then necessarily, necessarily living in a state of self-will and self-imposed deception. Necessarily. We are necessarily doing that. Okay? And it, I'm always encouraged, too, when something in the liturgy, you know, kind of ties into the service. And my brother, he said just a minute ago, when we talked about communion, he said, you know, God has done great things to repair that breach, you know, and he said there's things that are broken. Remember, he said there's things that are broken that shouldn't be broken. Genesis 3.8 is one of those things. That's, this is broken. This is something in us. So, you know, prayer should be, you know, like pre-fall, you know, with Adam. It should be pre, you know, God comes, he walks in the cool of the day. There's, I can't wait to see him. And then Adam sins, and then what does he do? He hides. He immediately hides. That's what we do when we sin. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But God called and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you, and I was afraid. I was naked, and I hid myself. Do you see what I mean? That's, and, and, like, I've experienced this, so I'm not, this is not like ivory tower. Like, I'm telling you, like, how do you think I know this? <laughs> so I'm speaking to you like this. I'm not speaking to you like this, Okay. But this is what we do. Okay, so now this kind of begs the question, so why don't we pray? Why not? And so there's lots of reasons, you know, time, busyness, you know, schedule. Um, sometimes there is some skill, you know, some know-how. But I think, you know, for the sake of time, we can lump everything into kind of two, two categories. One is confusion. We have no appetite for prayer because it can be theologically confusing. Don't look at me like that. You know that. Everybody has thought that. It's theologically confusing. And two, deception. 
There's a, a degree of deception. And that's the, that's the, the bad part. And so for the deception, there's two parts. At best, best case scenario, is that our hearts are choked up with the weeds and the cares of this world. I, I call that, you know, we pray, uh, our Father who art in heaven, you know, hallowed be thy name, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. I call this my kingdom come. Our hearts are choked up with the cares of this world and like our own agenda and our own, you know, the stuff we want to do, you know. So at best, it's deception. And at worst, it's regeneration. That's very unpleasant to say. I don't like saying that. But there is a possibility that we have no appetite for prayer because we're not saved. Okay, so let's take these in order. Let's take these in order. First, confusion. Sometimes we have no appetite for prayer because it can be theologically confusing. Here's what that looks like. Since God is omnipotent, it's all-powerful, and omniscient, he knows everything, omnipresent, he is everywhere, he knows what I want and what I need before I'm asking. So why ask? That's just a, I mean, don't feel bad about that. That's just a common sense. You have a brain. You go, I, I kind of don't get that. I have to understand that. Prayer seems unnecessary. After all, I'm doing okay. The roof's not caving in. I mean, my life's kind of going okay. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not a big deal that I don't do it. So we just go and we go and we go. So he must not really care, I guess. I don't know. So he said to ask him, but then he said he only answers prayers that are his will. So even if I ask him for something, he said he's only going to give me what he wants to give me anyway. Don't look at me like that. Everybody has thought that. Okay? So he only answers prayers that are his will. Now let's throw a monkey wrench into it. But everybody tells me, pray so that you can know what the Lord's will is. How does that work? Well, I need to know about this and that. Well, pray about it. Just pray, honey, and the Lord will show you. You know, just pray. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm supposed to pray to know it, to get, you know, understand your will, what you want for me and for my life. But you're only going to answer a prayer that's in accordance with your will, so you're only going to give me your will anyway, regardless of what I pray. That's what I mean by theological confusion. It, it can be confusing, so we have to kind of put these things together. Okay? But while some of that confusion is understandable, I mean, that's fair. I mean, that makes sense. It's understandable. Think about it. it reveal, that confusion reveals something about the way, listen carefully, it reveals something about the way our hearts are oriented towards God. So what I mean is, even though the confusion may be genuine, it's still all based on the presupposition. It's all based on a view of God that's almost pagan because it's purely transactional. It's purely, think about it. I'm going to rephrase, right? It, it, I'm confused or feel it's unnecessary because I don't understand how or why exactly to pull the strings to get what I want. You get it? So all of that confusion, while it is, you know, genuine sort of, okay, I don't get it, it's still coming from a position that says, I don't know how to work that. I don't, like, 
if I pull this, I don't get this, but, I, but, I'm not to pull, but I'm supposed to know what to pull. See, it's still all about how do I work the machine? It's still about how do I get the vending machine to give me what I want? Prayer is not about pulling the strings. Prayer is about God pulling your strings. Prayer is God pulling your strings, and, and I'll explain that. We've got prayer all wrong, so let's, let's dissect this together. So the confusion. The first thing we need to consider is that we have to pray with right motives. We have to pray with the right motives. You have to start from the right place, okay? Uh, you know, I'm thinking of this off the cuff, so I didn't come up with a, like a, some kind of really good illustration, but th- there are, for example, there are cases that go to the Supreme Court that the Supreme, you know, so it's a case, you know, it's brought forth as here, here's, you know, what the scenario is. But there are cases when the Supreme Court would say, it's not a question of what we think about this case. They would say, this case has no merit. This is not a question for us. And it goes back. They go, it's, it's not a thing. Don't, like, you should, in other words, you shouldn't be asking us this because it's not a case. You're, you're thinking the wrong way to begin with. That's what's making you ask us this. And so there are some cases where the justices go, it's just, go away. It's, it's, you have no case. Do you see what I'm saying? So we have to pray with the right motives to begin with, right? So we start from the right presupposition. And so we read earlier, this is the confidence which we have before him, meaning like I'm before him, I'm standing in front of him. So this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we asked from him. Okay, we, we get that. So here's the part about motive. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's not the source... Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. But you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Now, we might say, well, I don't do that. I don't, I don't pray like, you know, God, give me $1,000 so I can go spend $1,000, right? So we would say, I don't do that. This seems pretty extreme. But remember, it's a heart issue, <laughs> so it's the same thing. If the sum total of my prayers are, give me this, do that, help me do this, help me to have that, do this, show me this, give me that, that is, in effect, that same thing. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures, Okay, turn to Philippians chapter 2, please. So remember, we're talking about the the confusing part of it here. Okay, so now we know we are to pray in accordance with God's will. We know that. But again, why does God require that? The way you gain wisdom, never be afraid to ask questions. The way you gain wisdom is by in a proper way, it's questioning God. It's going, why? Why is that? Why is that the case? Why do you do that? And then you will get wisdom. That's why scripture says, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
That's why, because when you understand certain things about God, then everything else sort of makes sense after that. But if you don't have that clear, then everything else doesn't make sense and we'll make foolish decisions. Okay, so we know we're supposed to pray in accordance with his will. Why? Why does God require that? Why did he say, if you ask according to my will, I'll guarantee you I'll do what you want? Because your will, my will, my desires, my list, that's my list. That's not his list. That's my list. And so what we are fundamentally doing wrong is that we are praying like we're the main character. That's the problem. That's what he means when he says, if you ask according to my will, I guarantee you I will do what you want. Because actually, it's not that prayer is superfluous in light of him, his omniscience. It means my petty desires are superfluous <laughs> in light of his omniscience and his sovereignty. So that doesn't mean you know, I can't ask for stuff. It doesn't mean like I don't have an agenda, like, like God, I need things, you know, help me with this. It, it doesn't mean we, we shouldn't and we can't do that. But there's an aspect where, you know, you're, you're on a movie set, you know, and there's that chair, you know, the director's chair. And so when we pray, it's like we're sitting in the director chair. You know, it's open, it's vacant. So I'm going to go sit in the director chair, you know, put on a little beret, grab the megaphone and start, let's do this, let's do that, you know, quiet on the set, let's get this, I need that, I need that, I need that. So a lot of times, again, we may not necessarily mean it overtly, but that's kind of what we're doing in prayer. We're directing God what to do. Prayer is not telling God how to be a better God. It's not pulling his strings to make him do what we want. So my prayers are basically my kingdom come, my will be done in heaven as I want it on earth. That's what we're effectively, that's what we can be praying. It's completely backwards. So we have to get off the throne. So I had you turn to Philippians 2 I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 8, and you can follow along. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, any, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory of mind, excuse me, or vain glory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves, not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, he's saying, think like Jesus thought in his earthly ministry. Verse 6, who although existing in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how we're supposed to think, you know, as believers, in, in a very general sense. That's the tone of our thinking. So there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, Lord, please help me pass a test tomorrow. You know, please help me to pass a driving test. Please help me to... I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't do those things. But when it becomes all about that, we are doing something that, that I call 
I call it praying to God's hand, but not praying to his face. That's what I call it. So, um, I, need to, I need to pick on some young person here. So, I'll pick on this young lady here because she's got pretty hair. Okay, so, I have a dollar. I went in my wallet. This is my last dollar. Like, it's literally my last dollar. So, I have a dollar. And so, I want to tell you that uh, I am willing to give you this dollar. Okay? So, you just know in your head, like, if I want that dollar, he'll give it to me. Okay? All right? So, I'm going to stand here. So, just be aware that, you know, I'm willing to give you the dollar if you ask. What do you do? It's not a trick. It's not a trick question. It's not a trick question. It's not a trick question at all. Just know that in your head, like, he's, I know that that guy has a dollar, and I know that he's willing to give it to me. So what do you do? Okay, ask for it. Go ahead and ask for it. Sure, you can have a dollar. You can keep it. Okay. Right? Okay, now... What I want you to do is uh, just look at, just like look straight at me like normally like this, okay? And just look at me for, you know, five seconds. Just, you know, give me a once over. Okay, <laughs> just, just look at me, you know. Okay, three, four, five. Now, now you've looked at me, okay? So now tell me something about me because you've looked at me. Whatever you observe, whatever, anything. Wearing a suit? Yep, I'm wearing a suit, perfect. So, you passed. That's great. Keep the dollar. Okay. So, so, what she said is, I'm wearing a suit. Okay? So, this is what I mean here. It's not wrong, you know, to ask for the dollar. Nothing wrong with saying, Lord, I need X. There's nothing wrong with that. But when she was not paying attention to my hand or what I could give her, you know what she noticed about me? She noticed one of my attributes right? She wasn't looking at my hand or necessarily, not that it was wrong, you know, to say, I know he has a dollar. I know he'll give me a dollar. Nothing wrong with that. Then why not ask? But when you weren't focusing on the dollar and you were just focusing on me and going, okay, this is him, whatever he is, you know, you could have said you're wearing a tie, you're wearing a suit, you have a beard, right? Whatever it is, right? So when she looked at me, she started noticing my attributes. She started noticing things about me. Do you get what I'm saying? She started noticing things about me. That's how our prayer needs to be. It's not simply going, I need a dollar. It's looking, it's not just praying to God's hand, it's praying to God's face. You're looking at his face. You have blonde hair. You are the, you know, you are wearing a watch. You are this. You know what the prayer equivalent of that is? You look at God and you go, you are holy. You are, whoa, I'm blown away. You are truthful. You are, you are kind. You are big. You are strong. Oh my gosh, you are merciful. Oh my goodness, you are merciful. Oh, and then you, so you're not so much concerned with the thing, right? This is why, remember Jesus taught that when he said, 
God knows what, you know, he clothes the lilies of the field, right? He knows that stuff. He knows what you need. He knows the basic stuff. He said, even Gentiles pray for that stuff. Everyone wants that stuff. He goes, you have something different. This is, this is what it sounds like in Scripture. This is why we have to read Scripture, because I, where's God? I can't see. I see a ceiling, right? I see Scripture. That's where I see God when I look out here. So this is what it sounds like in prayer. Psalm 27.4, one thing I have asked from the Lord. Notice when he says one thing. So what he means is like, yeah, there's all, I mean, we know David, right? He said all kind of stuff, like help me win a battle, like help these people not to kill me. Remember, he's, remember he's prayed all kinds of stuff, you know, help me with this. My soul is, he's asked God for a million things, right? When he says one thing I've asked of the Lord, you know what he means by that? He just means this is really, you know, the ultimate thing. He says, one thing that I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. That's what happens when you look at God's face. You start going, you are so, so you become captivated, you know, with his beauty, with his greatness, with his holiness, with his all these things, but you know what also happens? We, it's very transparent. We're very transparent. And then we also see our own flaw, right? We see how untruthful we are, right? We see how dishonest we are. We see how flawed we are. But if you understand the gospel rightly, then you go, now I know why I need so much mercy. Now I know why I need so much grace. It's incredible that you have condescended to me in this way. Because the more I see you for who you are and what you are and what you are like and all these things, the more my, what we see in Scripture, he says, magnify the Lord, right? Magnify, right? We go, whoa, God is big. God is incredible. And then we see ourselves, we see how small we are, but then we go, but you covenant it with me? Me. Like shady, crooked me. Like me. You covenant it with me? And it becomes a cycle. Do you see what I mean? Not a cycle that's meant to, like one of those broken things. It's not one of those things that's meant to push us away from the Lord. It's meant to draw us back to go, I cannot believe. This is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. So our prayers are to be focused on God's glory, not necessarily on our highest preference. Not that we can't have preferences, but there must always be subordinate. And it's okay to have a preference, but his, his glory's top priority. And, and this is where the faith comes in. You know, God's sovereignty and all this. This is where the faith comes in, and we trust the outcome. That's the faith. That's the trust. That's the relationship. My desire is ultimately for your glory. It is your will that you be glorified through me and in me. So yeah, 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 there's some stuff I want, but ultimately what I want is this. And when we do that, that's when God goes, that's a guaranteed answer. Do, do you want to hear what that sounds like in prayer? Like in, like in a real live prayer? Like there's our preference, but the highest good? This is what it sounds like in prayer. And he went a little beyond them 
and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but your will. That's what it sounds like in prayer. I, this is my preference. If I could wave a magic wand, I mean, this is, if there's any way possible, that's what I want. But it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. So nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. That's what he means when he says, if you ask anything in my name according to my will, we can have the confidence that he will answer. Uh, please turn to uh, Psalm 143. Psalm 143. Um, uh, verse 8. Okay. Okay. This is talking about God's will. Okay. How do we pray in accordance with his will? Now, this is a whole other, you know, kind of theological issue, um, you know, like knowing God's will, and that, that's a whole different thing. And I'll give you a quick, like, one-minute primer. Uh, there's a really good book. It's a fairly small paperback, and it's called, it's called, it's a paperback. It's called, How Then Should We Choose? Three Views on God's Will and Decision-Making. It's a little, it's like that thick. It's a little paperback. You can, you know, read it in a week or something. It's, it's easy reading, you know. And, and to, to boil it all down, what, what it's basically saying is it, it's written by three people. You may have read books like this before. It's written by three people. And then this person has one view, this person another view, they've got another view. And then this person, with scripture and everything, you know, states and lays out the, the way they think it is. And then these two people critique that view. And then that person writes like a final rebuttal, right? And then this person puts their view. And then these two Right? So you kind of get the full spectrum of, okay, how does, how does this work? And so the, the gist of the book you know, is there's a few different things. One is called the, what's called the specific will view. That's the one where it's like, honey, just, honey, just go pray about it, honey, and ask the Lord, and he'll, he'll show you. That's called the specific will view. It means that God has this like, exact specific will, and I'm supposed to go find it. I'm supposed to go get it, Right? I, I, that view I don't like, I used to kind of ascribe to that until I read the book and it kind of made it clear and I went, oh, because when I read that, I remember thinking, what else is there? What, like, what's the point of the rest of the book? That's obviously true. And then once I, you know, read it and, you know, kind of saw it all laid out, I went, oh, that's not necessarily what Scripture's saying. And so it produces a tremendous amount of uh, stress, you know, on the individual to go like, man, God's got this plan and if I don't get it just right, man, I could pay dearly for that and I don't want to do that and then I got to double back and Man, God, I really don't want to mess this up. Please tell me what you want me to do, right? There's so much at stake, you know. Um, the other problem with it is it, it confines God to time. So if, for example, somebody said to you, they said, hey, brother, there's a pastoral position. It lines up with everything you asked for. You know, let's throw on some six-figure salary. Like, it's, it's just the absolute awesome. It's everything you, you had asked for. But then you get a simultaneous offer from someone else, and one's in China and one's in Malaysia. And they go, so that offer is on the table. It's yours for the taking, but we need to know in the next 12 hours. That's another problem with that view. Like you go to God and go, okay, so listen, <clears throat> here's what's going on. I got 12 hours. That's another problem with that view. It, it doesn't, like God's really going to go like, okay, phew, I better get right on that. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
So then the second view is what's called like the wisdom view, which, which basically means it, it really works kind of like this. You know, ring, ring, ring. Hello. Hey, uh, this, is, this is Brother Ellis from Leavenworth. Could, could you come preach? And I go, I'm a preacher. I'm a Christian. You guys need help? Yeah, we could use some help, and you're available to help. Sure. Why would I not do that, right? <laughs> Why would I not do that? Um, now let's say I get another phone call and it's simultaneous. Hey, Leavenworth, and then one from, I don't know, Wyoming, whatever. And it's the same thing, and I go, what, I don't know, which one do I do? I don't know. The wisdom view would say, God is going, do whatever one you want to do. It's up to you. It's, neither one of them are wrong. Do what, what, what you do whatever you want to do. It's kind of like Abraham, you know, like, I'll bless you if you go there, and I'll bless you if you go there. It's... It's, it, it's not that way, that God intends us to, to function by biblical wisdom. So you just kind of go, well, if it's wise and it's, it's proper and there's no reason, as far as I can tell, there's no you know, sinful motive in my heart. You know, I'm, I'm free to simply go, sure, I'll, I'll take that one. I mean, and, I, and, and the beauty of that is you make a decision in faith, this is what I like about it. the beauty of it is you trust God with the details. You're not worried about, well, if I do that, then that might cause this. It's not my business. I'm not supposed to know that. I can't know that. I'm pretending if I know that. I'm not Moses. God's not going to come to me on Sinai and go, go say that. So the wisdom view simply says, if, if it's in line with Scripture and it's wise and there's no prohibition against it, you're free to do that. Do you, what do you want to do? Do whichever one is, you know. I mean, you seek wisdom and counsel or something. You know, you would do basic stuff, but it's not this like, okay, God, you know, I got to, uh, God, I'm going to go there. You know, it's, it's not like that. So, so going back to this, how do we pray in accordance with God's will? So that kind of view of God's will is, is the sort of the specific will view is what it's called. And then there's the, it's a little more like on the reform side, you know, theologically, is what's called the wisdom view. And so scripture says this, how do we pray in accordance with God's will? Scripture presumes, if you read it, it presumes you know God's will. I'll prove it. It's in Scripture. It, it presume, if you read Scripture, it speaks to you as though you know what his will is already. Psalm 143, 8 through 10. Cause me to hear, cause me, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Yahweh. I have concealed myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. He didn't say, tell me what your will is. He said, teach me to do, teach me to do what your will is. I said, well, that's not clear enough. Okay, Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, I'm still not convinced. Okay. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Remember, be wise in what you do. Wisdom is defined as skillful living before God. It's living skillfully as God watches you. Not as unwise, but wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. On account of this, don't be foolish, 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. He presumes that you know. He's saying understand it. Get clear about it. What, know what God's will is. Colossians 1.9, For this reason also, since the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. So think about it. Do you pray this for other people? Remember, am I praying like I'm the main actor or am I thinking about others? Okay. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. He's asking, right? He said, I'll ask and you know, we ask and he'll give. This is, this is Paul. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the full knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So scripture speaks to us in a manner that goes, you know what God's will is. You already know. You need to say, teach me to do it. Help me to be filled with the full understanding of it. Romans 2, 17 through 19. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve of the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind and a light to those who are in darkness and so on. Okay? So what scripture is basically saying is that God's will is in his word. So remember the whole Supreme Court thing? So sometimes we go to God and we go, God, like, what should I do? He's going, that's not a case. That's not a, you don't, it's not necessarily my intention to answer that. It's, I don't, you don't just come to me and go, I need to know, like, do I buy the house on 1414 Main Street or do I buy the house on 4141, you know, South Street? He, he's not obligated to go, okay, fast and I'll tell you. Like, he's, use wisdom, which is the proper thing to do, what seems the wisest thing to do. So God is most pleased when we function in a way that reflects we understand wisdom. And then we trust him to make, up, make out those details. And, the, and you know the beauty of it is, too, is when you acknowledge that you're doing that, you don't make God look like a fool. Because I know people who have said, God told me, you know, this and this and that, and all of a sudden it doesn't happen. And I go, well, you know, I mean, you don't rub it in their face, right? But you're going, you just spoke presumptuously about the Lord. You thought God said whatever. Don't say that. Just, you know, as best as I know, this is what I'm going to do. That's it. There's a very famous preacher right now, uh, uh, that, that actually teach, misunderstands this really badly. You know, like, what if we ask anything, you know, according to his name is um, Bill Johnson, you know, famous preacher in Redding, California. A friend of mine lives in Redding, California at Bethel. You know, he's the leader there of Bethel Church. And my friend told me that Bethel is the biggest, I didn't know this, they're the biggest employer in Redding. Like, it's a, that church is big, you know, like one of these multi-million, you know, like charismatic type churches. He even says, he goes like, I don't even pray if it be thy will. Like he literally is on video saying that, you know, your word says this and I'm going to do that, you know, that kind of thing. Well, guess what happened? His wife just died of cancer. After a long, I mean, it was a long, slow, ugly, you know, battle with cancer. And she said, you know, because she's, I mean, she's on record. You can look it up. And she said, you know, because of this stuff, she said, no, God promised me he's going to heal me. Like she's on record saying it. He promised me he's going to heal me. You know what I mean? So I'm going to be healed. I'm going to be healed. God did not promise you that. Like that's your sense of what you think. You have to understand the work correctly. And so um, no one, you know, was able to come to her aid or, you know, none of the other folks that, you know, teach that stuff. Nobody came running to fix and lay hands. She's dead, you know. It's a very sad situation. 
So God's will is in his word. And so I, I don't like that. <laughs> so I don't like it when people used to say that. I would say, I want to know God's will. And they would go, it's in his word. I didn't like that because I felt like they're playing word games, you know, like, well, come on. You're just saying it's in, I'm, I'm talking about like what his will is, you know. They would go, no, it's in his word. I know, but I'm talking about like, like I want to know, <laughs> you know. I used to hate that, but then I understand better. First Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, rejoice always. I promise you, I promise you that's God's will. Pray continually. There's a horrible situation going on, you know, in your life or whatever. I don't know what to do. Lord, I don't know how I'm going to see my way out of this. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So you might say, okay, but how does that come out practically, like in prayer? Here's what it means. God, this is what's going on. You know, bear our heart out. John Calvin said prayer is nothing more than opening up your heart to God, right? God, this is going on. This is terrible. This caught me by surprise. I don't think it's right. You know, I don't think it's fair. I wish he hadn't done that. I wish he hadn't done that. You know, whatever the case may be, they're lying on me. Whatever the case is, I, I didn't know this. I, I made a mistake. I caused this, this massive problem. You know, so it's a, pro- it's a real problem. It's a real problem. Lord, I don't know what to do. You know, the consequences are coming. Maybe they're my fault. Maybe they're not. Whatever the situation is. <sighs> but God, I'm supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. So what do I give thanks for? God, I'm going to give thanks that you are with me in this situation. I'm going to give thanks that I'm still in a covenant with you. And so I know that in the end, your goal is to work this out for your glory. So, Father, I ask that you would help me to deal with this in like, like an honorable and upstanding way that it brings glory to you. And, and as a matter of fact, you know, and God, thank you for your word for telling me that. Um, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know that in the end, whether even it was my fault, whatever, but in the end, God, my, my goal, I, you know, if it's, if it's on you, you know, I, God, I repent, I'm sorry, and I just ask that you would work this out for your glory. Um, if, it's a great example. God, if there's a way that this cup can pass from me, then please, like, I want that to happen, but nevertheless, Lord, your will be done, and I will accept, you know, whatever it is, because I trust you, and I love you, and I have faith in you, and I know that you will not turn your back on your saints. That Psalms, the Psalms from like cover to cover is filled with that, right? We all know David's life. Like David did all kind of like stuff and you're reading, but he was bold. He would always go, Lord, don't forsake me. You know, you don't turn your back on me, that kind of thing. And so one uh, method of doing this, there's a really good book. It's called uh, uh, Praying the Psalms. And uh, if you're not a huge reader, you can get the audio. It's relatively short. It's very, very short and maybe a few hours long. And it's basically a book about how to use the Psalms to pray this way. That's what it talks about. So it's literally like a little method. You know, you pick the day of the month, you go to that Psalm, and then you go 30 ahead every day, right? So on the first of the month, you'd read the first, the 31st Psalm, the 61st Psalm, the 91st Psalm, and then you just kind of, you do it five, you know, so there's five Psalms to choose from, and then you kind of, you know, glance over them, see what they are, and then you go, that's kind of where I'm at right now. See what I mean? And then you just take that psalm and you just begin to pray that psalm. It's a very comforting, it's a really good thing to do. Uh, so I just began doing that and it's very, very helpful. So we know God's will and our prayers are to be focused on God's glory, not, not on our highest preference. Now, I, and I realize I'm just about out of time here. So if these realities, 
that I just told you make prayer seem less appealing? You know, like, oh man, like, you mean to tell me all I get is like, what he wants? <laughs> you know, you mean I can't just ask for whatever I want, whatever thing I want? Well, like I said, there are cases where you can say, Lord, can I have a dollar? There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But we have to consider, remember, how do we fundamentally view God? You know what I mean? Am I praying like I'm the main character? I learned that from my kids. I told them some story about something that happened to me when I was a kid, and they went, you were the main character that day. You know, it's, it's like a mental construct, you know, where it's like everything's about you, you know, and it's something you remember. It could have been fond. It's not a bad thing. And they were like, yeah, you were definitely the main character that day. And I thought about that. I said, yeah. So when I'm praying, it's like I'm the main character. God is a director. I'm just some guy holding a light or something. It's not... I'm not in charge of the movie. I'm here to help. I'm here, here to, like, how do I help you accomplish your will? That's what I'm here to do. How, how can I help you, your kingdom come? Not, here's what I need to build my kingdom. So if, if those realities make prayer seem a little distasteful to us, and this is, this is the unpleasant part, we have to consider, there's a possibility, we could not be regenerate. There's a possibility we could not be saved. 2 Corinthians 13.5, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. There's an exclamation point there, so it's strong, you know, in the Greek language. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize about yourselves that Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail the test. So test yourself. So it's not about being like more moral, like I got to do more good works to prove that I'm saved. That's not what it's saying. What he's saying is if, you're, if your disposition and your attitude and things like that is a certain way, then you have to be honest and fair. You know, look at yourself and go, does that seem like, does, like, does that match up with that? See what I'm saying? You have to examine yourself. So briefly here, this is a quote from Charles Spurgeon on, on this passage. Examine. That is a scholastic idea. A boy has been to school a certain time and his master puts him through his paces, questions him, to see whether he has made any progress, whether he knows anything. Christian, catechize your heart. Question it to see whether it has been growing in grace. Question it to see if it knows anything of vital goodness or not. Examine it. Pass your heart through a stern examination as to what it does know and what it does not know by the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Again, examine yourself is a military idea or renew yourselves. Go through the rank and file of your actions and examine all your motives, just as the captain on review day is not content with merely surveying the men from a distance, but to look at their, you know, little ribbons, you know, they call them accouterments, you know, I was in the military, but not to look at them from a distance, but to look at their accouterments, accoutrements. So do you look well to yourselves, examine yourselves with the most scrupulous care, that's what I was in the, in the Air Force for 24 years, and we had inspections we would do. You know, you're lined up there, and before the inspector would come up, you know, we were all, you know, in our dress blues and ribbon. I mean, everything. And we literally, we used to have, like, pieces of tape on our hand, and we would, you know, walk around, like, close, and we'd look at each other, and, like, hey, man, you got some lint. You know, and they would, you know, like, take the lint off, and that's what they would do. Look at your ribbons. Like, okay, your ribbons are. And so you'd have, like, a little fray, you know, thing on the end of your ribbon. So some guy would have a lighter. He'd take out a lighter. He'd go, Burn, I was okay, you're good, man, you're good, you're good. And then we would all get there, you know. Right? So it's saying like a captain. Like just as a captain doesn't go, yeah, 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 you look okay. What he's saying is do that to yourself. 
Like look at yourself and go, hmm, do I see evidence? Is there evidence that you are a child of God? What does scripture say a child of God is? What are you? Do, do these things match up? So this is what he's saying. But he must look at all their accoutrements. So do you look well to yourselves? Examine yourself with the most scrupulous care. And once again, it is a legal idea. Examine yourselves. You have seen the witness in the box when the lawyer has been examining him or as we have it cross-examining him. Now, Mark, never was there a rogue less trustworthy or more deceitful than your own heart. And as when you are cross-examining a dishonest person, one that has buy-ins to serve, meaning they have another motive to serve, you set traps for him. We've all seen it. You know, he's there in the box, right? You ask him questions. Did, did you say that? You know, well, then read this, right? You see, they set a trap. You know, they, so you're saying you're telling the truth. Okay, let me ask you some diagnostic questions. Then they go, I'd like to put here in exhibit B, you said, you know, such as, you know, whatever, right? They set a trap for him. He's saying do that to yourself. Like really examine yourself and go, am I genuine? Do so with your own heart, end of quote. Last passage here. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 through 10. Remember, Spurgeon said earlier, there is um, no rogue more deceitful than the human heart. Everybody loves Jeremiah, what is it, like 21, 18 or something. I know the plans I have for you to give you hope in the future. And all, right? Everybody loves that part, right? It's Jeremiah 17. The human heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick. Who can know it? I, Yahweh, search the heart. That's prayer. I test the inmost being, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Crying is the sign of life. Baby ain't crying, something's wrong. You have a baby, the baby ain't crying, baby doesn't cry, you take the baby to the hospital. You know what I'm saying? If I put the milk to the baby's mouth, the baby will eat, but the baby doesn't cry. So I have to, you know, is the baby hungry? Is, I don't know. The baby doesn't cry. If the baby doesn't cry, something is wrong. Crying is the sign of life. Prayer is the crying of spiritual life. Baby ain't crying, something's wrong. If we ain't praying, something's wrong. It's very, very wrong. Now, whether our hearts are choked with the weeds and the, the cares and the pursuits of this world is the issue, or whether or not we're unsaved, I can't know that. I don't claim to know that. I, I don't want to know that. Only you and God know that. But here's what I do know. There is a very dangerous dysfunction in our relationship with God, and I want you to be troubled by it. I want you to be dissatisfied with it. If your baby never cried, you would take them to the doctor. I want you to be very dissatisfied with it. If you leave here today and you go home and you find that someone has vandalized your home, you wouldn't let that go. You would take action right away. A very serious violation has taken place. That would not stand. 
Don't let this stand. Don't be content to go, yeah, I'll take care of it. So I know I've said some hard things here, but I want you all to know that I have looked in the mirror first, and I've said them all to myself first. There isn't a single thing that I have said here to any of you that I have not said to myself and that I've not said before God. We don't want to open our hearts up to God often because of idolatry. We say your will be done, your kingdom come, but my prayers don't say that. And guess how I know that that's true. Last point here. We take communication with God for granted, and we should not do that. Imagine if prayer was not an option. Imagine there was no such thing as prayer. There was a time I spent as a a salesman a few years ago, and I used to say, I'm not sure what to do here. They, I mean, they're kind of like interested, but they're kind of not, I'm not really sure what to do. And so we had like a technique, and we weren't taught to be like manipulative or dishonest or anything. Honestly, we weren't. But there's different things you do, right? And they would say, take it away from them. I said, what do you mean? So in other words, you're thinking to yourself, you seem like you like that. You seem like you want that but you just, you won't pull the trigger. You just won't do it. And so I, I don't know what to do. And so one thing you do is they would say, take it away from them. So you would go, okay, okay. So I'd go back and go, you know what? That's probably not in stock anyway. You don't want it. You don't want that. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Come on. Let's just forget about it. Go away from it. They go, no, 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 no. And all of a sudden they want it. We call it taking it away. So, because then it, it, the person would realize, well, wait a minute. I, well, now I got to think if I don't have it, maybe I, I do want that pretty bad. So, uh, we would take it away. So take prayer away. Think about it. God desires communion. And I know that because when you read scripture, it tells us that he tore open the veil of separation. That only a flawed, sinful, imperfect human being could enter on your behalf. And that was only after the priest met all these requirements. So what if the priest was sinful? What if the priest messed up? Everything hinged on one flawed, imperfect person once a year. Okay? That's the old covenant. You guys know that. I mean, it was a big deal. The, the priest was making sacrifice, uh, uh, was interceding for people for sins that they didn't even know they committed. Remember it said that it says he was for sins that they were unaware of, but he had to make sure they were covered, they were covered. There was so much put on that priest. Jesus is a greater high priest than Levi, and he introduces a better covenant than the law of Moses. His literally, literally his self-sacrificing high priestly ministry. And I'll close with this. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let us take hold of our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, the one who has been tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. This is what I want you to do. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. 
Let's pray. Dear God, you desire closeness and intimacy with your people. You desire truthfulness um, from us. You, I should say, you demand truthfulness from us. And it can be intimidating, and it can be scary, and it can be vulnerable. But there is one with whom we're supposed to be vulnerable. You are almighty. Of course it's going to be somewhat intimidating. Father, let us be comforted by the fact that you have condescended to us tremendously. You have literally moved and changed world history in your redemptive plan to choose a people for yourself. And please help us to appreciate and respect and love and honor that covenant by coming to you and saying thank you. Thank you for all the things that you have done to draw us to yourselves. And as the song said earlier, to hold us fast. You hold us fast, Father. So, Father, please hold us fast in the profession of our faith. Draw our hearts to you. Help us to know you better. And cause us to pray. Cause us to pray. Work within our hearts to will and to do according to your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen.